Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.02 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 5th of March, 2021. It's Friday. Nice. This is episode 378 of Bitcoin. And if you were wondering why everything freaked out yesterday is because an old man sat down at a desk at a talk and opened his mouth. Jeff Benson gets to tell us about Bitcoin dropping, bond yields rising uh, because Fed chair pal stands pat course he actually sat down and opened his mouth now he wasn't standing pat and everything freaked out everything just got weird so at the wall street journal jobs summit today federal reserve chairman jerome powell indicated that the united states central bank will hold tight to its current monetary policy despite signs that it's becoming more expensive for people and companies to borrow money the dow jones is down over one percent on the day On the news, and Bitcoin has fallen 5% in the last 24 hours, Treasury yields continued to rise. Now, remember, this this news piece was from yesterday. This isn't not, this is no, these numbers are no longer the case. So just, just bear with me here. Powell's remarks come with spring just around the corner and coronavirus potentially on its heels. People are expecting the economy to approve as the vaccine rollout picks up steam and COVID restrictions, either government mandated or self-imposed, begin falling, not just in the short term, but in the long term as well. As a result, the cost of borrowing money is going up as the demand for credit increases. If you've heard about increasing yields on 10-year treasury notes, that all plays in. Treasury notes are bonds the federal government sells to investors who essentially lend the government money in return for a small yield, a very small yield. Typically, as yields increase, it signals investors are becoming more confident with the economy because they're looking for investments that pay way more than the current rate of 1.55%. Yields increase as demand decreases. Good, right? Well, yield increases also indicate that inflation, the bugaboo of Bitcoin maximalists, may be coming. The Federal Reserve doesn't have any intention of making a change, however. Inflation is the whole point because a small bit of theoretically a small bit theoretically helps the economy grow yeah in theory today we're still a long way from our goals of maximum employment and inflation averaging two percent over time powell said indicating the fed wouldn't try to depress yields but buying even more treasury notes than it already does instead powell said the fed would keep an eye on rates quote if conditions do change material materially the federal reserve is prepared to use the tools that it has to foster achievement of its goals i don't think anyone expected him to come out and say hawk we're raising rates etf trends chief investment officer and director of research david nadig told decrypt i seriously doubt 
you'll find a bond trader who will say that he sold a bunch of his 10-year positions because of a specific thing Powell said. The same might not be true for cryptocurrency investors who have looked at Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. <clears throat> the monetary expansion has been good for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency traders might have hoped for more of it since the end of March 2020 when the Federal Reserve began increasing its balance sheet by several trillion dollars. The price of, of Bitcoin has shot up from below 6500 to its current price of 48000 That's certainly better than treasury bond yields. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to agree with that. <clears throat> so it'll be interesting to see what, what the Federal Reserve does after this. But apparently, and, and here's, I don't know if I'm just blowing smoke, but I had a gut feeling yesterday and I tweeted out something to the effect that there was zero chance, zero chance that the stimulus was going to be passed <clears throat> in, a in a manner or in a temporal manner that would allow the people that get the checks to be able to cash them before yesterday and Fed Powell or uh, uh, Chairman Powell's remarks. Zero chance. There was zero chance that they were going to let that money flood into the economy before this old man spoke. Now, like I said, I might be blowing smoke, but I'm starting to see patterns here. And while I don't generally wear tinfoil hats around my house, I can't help but to wonder if the delays in Congress were basically the Congress saying, we can't do this until Jerome gets up there and, and basically tells everybody that he ain't doing dick. Now, why that works, I don't know. Like I said, it's, I'm starting to just get gut feelings. And when I got a gut feeling, I'll tell you about it. And I'll also admit that I don't exactly know what the hell it is that that means. It just means that I, I literally believe that there was no chance that they were going to flood the market with that much money. Okay, the money that they're supposed to give all of us, right? Um, before Jerome Powell made those remarks on the economy. And I, I kind of think that what it is, is that they want people to get into stocks and wanted to make damn sure they didn't go anywhere else. Because if the stock market isn't continuously propped up by inflows of new cash, and if you want to talk about a Ponzi scheme, there's the, one of the biggest ones there because most of the companies are trading at 35 times their earnings. That's ridiculous. When, when in the nineties, we were looking at Two, you know, four times, eight times, and my dad wouldn't touch anything that was eight x or eight x or over. He didn't like anything at five to seven, seven x over earnings. You know, uh, price to earnings ratio. It's because it's ridiculous when you start getting into those in, into numbers past eight. It just becomes stupid. And at thirty five times price to earnings ratio, I don't even know what they're doing anymore. But Nigeria seems to know what they're doing. We're going to read this one from Joel Agunjimi and Chris Maurice, uh, writing for Bitcoin Magazine, why Bitcoin has been so successful in Nigeria. Back in 2017, the idea of Bitcoin in Nigeria was an interesting one that generally got the attention of two main categories of people. The early adopters with an interest in, mer in emerging technologies and the hustlers that are always on the lookout for new ways to make money. The latter category consisted of the same people that turned to the Mavrodi Mundial movement 
one of the world's largest Ponzi schemes when it became popular in 2016. Unfortunately, the average Nigerian has struggled greatly in the country's current economy, and many have been forced to seek out alternatives that offer tangible opportunities to make money. When cryptocurrency exchanges started to show up in Nigeria, they made buying and selling Bitcoin more convenient for these categories of people because the alternative <clears throat> was to buy Bitcoin from a stranger with no assurance of getting what you paid for. And as a result, the country's cryptocurrency community began to grow. The booming cryptocurrency market in Nigeria today has come a long way from those early days as the adoption rate in Nigeria, Africa's largest economy, keeps growing year after year. A major reason for the exponential growth of the Nigerian cryptocurrency community can be linked to the country's predominantly young population. It is significantly more tech-savvy than its parents, and it is taken to the internet in hopes of finding jobs and income that often prove fleeting at home. Understandably, the young population went digital in its pursuit of a better life. Many younger Nigerians became freelancers in their chosen fields and started offering their services to the international community where their work is valued. But once again, the challenge of getting paid for their work because of their location was difficult. In the same vein, Nigerians in the diaspora also experienced a similar challenge when sending money back home as exorbitant charges from foreign banks and money transfer companies discouraged many from doing so. That's exactly why they did that, whatever. Meanwhile, things kept getting worse for the average Nigerian with the Naira experiencing incessant fl inflation, making the country's fiat a poor store of value. Traditional banks charging ridiculous fees for simple transactions and a rise in the unemployment rate. In the midst of all these issues, the gospel of Bitcoin kept spreading as the foremost cryptocurrency's major features made it look like it was specifically designed to save Nigerians. It ain't just Nigerians, yeah, pal. Bitcoin centralized or decentralized features and ability, its ability to furnish cheaper and faster transactions and its rising value ultimately turned the attention of many Nigerians to it so that in a 2020 COVID-19 halted world, Bitcoin had finally found a home in Nigeria. And this reflected in the numbers as our cryptocurrency exchange yellow card processed over $200 million in cryptocurrency volume in 2020, with most of that volume coming from Nigeria. Blockchain.com also reported that there was an increase from Nigeria in the number of new Bitcoin wallets created on its platform. Bitcoin offered a glimmer of hope that many Nigerians desperately needed as they could finally see the chance of attaining financial freedom to be more likely than ever. And in the following ways, Bitcoin has become successful in Nigeria. Number one, <clears throat> as a store of value, the Naira's continuous inflation has made many lose confidence in keeping their hard-earned money in fiat. Bitcoin offers a better alternative as its adoption across the world increases, thus driving up its demand and consequently its price. Two, as a better investment alternative. <clears throat> Many Nigerians have turned to trading and investing in Bitcoin as a form of passive income. And despite the cryptocurrency's volatile nature, the returns over time have seen many become millionaires. Three, as an enabler of easy transactions. The sending and receiving of money across the border for the payment of goods and services or to loved ones has never been easier with Bitcoin thanks to its cheaper network rate and faster transfer time than traditional remittance systems. 
while a recent directive from the nation's Apex Bank reiterating that regulated financial institutions were not authorized to offer services to cryptocurrency exchanges, the interest in Bitcoin has only continued to grow in the country as, coincidentally, institutional investments have propelled the price of Bitcoin past $57,000 as of the third week of February. It is, therefore, no longer a matter of if Bitcoin will come to bloom in Nigeria, but a matter of how long before it reaches everyone in the country. <clears throat> the Central Bank of Nigeria's directive may take some exchanges in the country offline for the time being, but peer-to-peer -peer transactions, which have always been an extremely popular and active trading method in Nigeria, will only grow more quickly. So there you go. Nigeria, uh, in, like I've always said it, Latin American, Latin America and the African continent are the two places that I watch the most. And now the Balkans and, and the, the uh, oh, what is it? The, um, the stands like Pakistan, Dagestan, you know, uh, Tajikistan, all the stands, all those places. Anything that even remotely resembles the second world or the third world, I'm watching like a hawk about Bitcoin. Now, for all those people that are wondering what the hell is Peter Schiff babbling about when it comes to uh, grayscale trading below NAV, well, listen up because Liam Frost is going to tell you what's going on there. Um, <clears throat> grayscale Bitcoin Trust trades at record discount. And this was written today, by the way, for Decrypt.co. Shares in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust have turned negative. According to Cryptometrics platform Glassnode, the shares are now trading at a discount of around 12% compared to the underlying value of Bitcoin per share, which is a record low. GBTC is a Bitcoin trust that allows investors to get exposure to the cryptocurrency's price swings without actually buying or holding any BTC themselves. And that's a bad deal, people. You, you want to be able to hold your own, your own Bitcoin, okay? Because, well, for... All the reasons that I was talking about. Continuing on, Grayscale buys and holds Bitcoin and or other coins itself and issues the corresponding amount of shares that investors can buy. Each of these shares in turn represents a certain amount of BTC, but since the shares are traded on the secondary market, they can be worth more or less than the underlying value of the Bitcoin. And this is known as the net asset value or the NAV. When, so when Peter says trading against the NAV, he's talking about trading against its net asset value, the actual value of Bitcoin versus what I can buy the shares representing those Bitcoin as. Generally speaking, Grayscale is always charged a premium. At this point, you can actually buy, pay less, quote unquote, for Bitcoin than if you buy it on the open market. But here's the rub. You don't get to hold the actual Bitcoin, so it's not an arbitrage situation for you. You can't buy it cheap from Grayscale, take it out, go over to Kraken, and then sell it at a higher price. You don't have the keys. There is no arbitrage opportunity here unless you want to sell your shares, but then you're, sh then you're on the share price. Okay, so... This is why I don't deal with these kinds of Bitcoin trusts or anything like that. I, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me, okay? But whatever. <clears throat> According to Grayscale's website, each GBTC share currently amounts to 0.00094685 Bitcoin. This means that the Bitcoin per share is worth $44.5. 
Okay. However, GBDC is actually trading at around $41.40. So it's a hell of a discount. Per Glassnode's data, GBDC's premium was as high as 40% in late December. So you were paying 40% more for the Bitcoin than what it was actually worth, which again, makes no sense to me, but whatever. But it has kept dropping since then. The latest big dip occurred on February the 22nd when the premium decreased from 12.7% to 5.19%. And since then, it ventured into negative territory and stayed there, reaching today's lows. The premium is the difference between the current prices of the shares and their underlying asset. When a premium is positive, investors are paying more for the shares than their underlying assets, Bitcoin in this case, are actually worth. Positive premiums <clears throat> signal high demand for such an offering since people are prepared to pay extra to get exposure to the cryptocurrency. For example, Grayscale's Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash Trust were, oh my God, were trading at premiums of 753% and 351% respectively late August. That shit should be a crime, man. As Decrypt reported, this was because there was that was the only way American retail investors could invest cryptocurrencies through their 401ks. Likewise, negative premiums mean that the demand for GBTC has dropped. One of the reasons for this could be the growing competition in the sector. For example, both Skybridge and Osprey have already launched their own BTC trust offerings that charge much lower annual fees than Grayscale's 2% fee at 0.75% and 0.49% respectively. Apart from that, two Bitcoin exchange traded funds have been recently approved and launched in, in Canada, and they are already picking up steam. Wow, as we shall see. And we're, we're going to talk about some of that here in a little bit. But <clears throat> So that's what Peter is bitching, is bitching about. And that's his latest talking point about why Bitcoin sucks because it, you know, this one company that's been around for freaking ever and was like the first to, it was Barry Silbert. I mean, I didn't like the fact that he put his name on the New York agreement, but I got to give it to him. He was first to the table at this shit and he's made billions of dollars doing it. All right. Barry's going to be fine. And we all knew that when ETF started coming to the game, that uh, things like Bitcoin trusts, which is what Grayscale is, because it's not an ETF, were going to lose their market share. We all knew this. The, and, and what we thought was going to happen is actually happening. But here comes Peter Schiff telling you how that means that Bitcoin is going to die. I don't see how, but whatever. Now, there's a little bit more about this grayscale thing that I want to cover that, you know, as opposed to Peter's position that it's going to kill Bitcoin, we've got Bloomberg's McGlone saying that grayscale discount might signal the start of a fresh Bitcoin rally. So one person says it's going to die. The other person says we're going to rally, but whatever. This is from Coindesk and this is Bradley Kuhn writing uh, on March the 4th. <clears throat> Bloomberg intelligence analyst Mike McGlone 
who correctly predicted a Bitcoin's ascent this year to a price of above $50,000, says recent market indicators suggest hundred grand could be the next threshold. It certainly would be a mental threshold, I guarantee that. McGlone wrote in a March Outlook report that a recent drop below zero in the so-called grayscale premium, a closely watched metric in cryptocurrency markets, could signal that last week's swift 21% sell-off to about 43K might have reset the market for a fresh run. As of Thursday, prices have rebounded to about $50,000. Yeah, you're a little late to the game. We're back down, okay? Grayscale premium refers to the difference between the price of Bitcoin as implied by cost of the shares in the publicly traded Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and the price of Bitcoin as traded on cryptocurrency exchanges historically has been positive. For a story on the Grayscale premium flipping negative, go here. And we have three bullet points uh, for this story of what McGlone's kind of trying to say here. Quote, Bitcoin's end of February price disparities on U.S. regulated exchanges portend a firming price foundation if history is a guide, McGlone wrote. He also says, indicating, capitul indicating capitulation selling, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust closed at its steepest discount ever, while December CME traded Bitcoin futures settled at about 20% higher. He, and he, then he finally says, normal maturation and increasing market depth will narrow wide price disparities, and we view the end of February extremes as an indication of just how nascent Bitcoin still is. So what is he saying? He says we're all early, which is what we always all say. We're very early to the game. <clears throat> and if you cannot handle these price fluctuations from old entry, you know, entrance into this into the ecosystem becoming edged out by new entrance into the ecosystem, then you don't belong in this ecosystem. This is the the volatility that's caused in the price is caused by so many different factors and all of them honestly all of them are because this is a nascent this is like this is the first time in the history of of the human species that we've been able to either find something discover something invent something or think of something <clears throat> that has a value that we can perceive okay and maybe because it's backed by proof of work maybe because it's you know, your idea is that it's value because it's cryptography. Maybe it's just simply security and you don't give a shit how you get the security, but you know the system is secure. It doesn't matter. For like, for instance, think of gold. When gold first came up, okay, when gold was first being discovered by, you know, the uh, us humans walking, you know, aping around on the earth, when we found gold, we didn't find it all together. We found it in different parts of the world and none of those parts of the world were talking to each other. So my tribe comes upon like a hill and all of a sudden we start digging and a bunch of shiny metal rocks come out of it and we go ooh ooh ah ah and swing a stick at it and realize that we can't do anything with it and somehow or another years later we end up with value. However, that's the value of the shiny metal rock that me and my tribe's people have discussed <clears throat> and thought about and postulated about, but we've never really talked to any other tribe about what their views of gold were. We didn't know any tribes that had any gold, okay? And it wasn't until a whole bunch of different people had different ideas about the value of gold when they finally started clashing together, either, either in warfare or trade, did they start having discussions with each other about why they thought gold had value and what that value is. 
Okay, this is the first time in human history that we found a gold-like substance that we've all discovered at the same time, and we're all discussing it at the same time throughout the entirety of the planet. This has never happened before, ever. Think about that. It's not just that Bitcoin's new. It's that Bitcoin has been discovered at a time that humans have never experienced before. We've never experienced an asset class all at the same time. Think about that, okay? Think about that while we ask Peter uh, if he's so sure that nobody accepts Bitcoin for any goods and services anywhere in the world because Thailand's largest movie theater chain now accepts Bitcoin. Helen Parts is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. A major Cineplex group, the largest operator of movie theaters in Thailand, has reportedly enabled some of its customers to buy tickets with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. According to a Thursday report by local news agency Sam Wraith, or Siam Wraith, uh, Major Cineplex has announced the launch of its cryptocurrency payment pilot project in a move to support innovation and new technologies. In order to unlock the new payment option, the company has partnered with local crypto exchange Zipmex and IO digital payment startup Rapid Z. Major Cineplex debuted the new feature at Bangkok's Major Cineplex Ratchowiothin, good lord, man, movie theater on March the 4th, allowing customers to buy tickets with Bitcoin via Rapid Z by scanning a QR code. Major Cineplex expects to extend the pilot to 39 more of its movie theaters across Bangkok by the end of 2021. The news apparently marks the first time in history that Thai movie theater has accepted crypto as payment. Narut Jansensong, a spokesperson for Major Cineplex, said that the new initiative intends to attract more customers that invest in crypto. He said that Thailand is now estimated to have up to 1 million Bitcoin hodlers, accounting for 2% of the country's total adult population. In mid-February, the Securities and Exchange Commission of Thailand proposed a proposed to adopt specific requirements for people willing to invest in crypto, reportedly planning to require investors to have an annual income of at least $33,250. Why? Because you need the poor. You always need to be able to point at the poor to make rich people feel bad, even though you need that sequestration so that you have potential energies. Why I'm saying that, I'm not exactly sure. It's just that in in like take take a human cell <clears throat> you need a gradient of dissolved ions to make the cell work you need salts on one side to be higher on the other side other you will not otherwise you will not be able to get a flow of energy from one side to another and i won't exactly i won't say exactly how that works and exactly why and what mechanisms because hey go get a cell and molecular biology degree if you really want to know more but trust me right now you need gradients to make systems work i don't believe that you should make people poor because somehow or another you think that that particular gradient is good and necessary but it does create energy flow Right, And I honestly believe maybe this is why Jesus said the poor will always be with you. I don't know. 
But there's something about this where this accredited investor bullshit has kept more people in on the face of the planet poor than any king or fiefdom or samurai warlord ever has. All right. This requirement that you make at least as mu- this much money somehow magically turns you into a qualified investor is bullshit. Right? Anybody should be able to buy this stuff. Anybody in the world, for whatever reason that they want to buy it. If they want to go hire a hooker and it's illegal, I'm sorry for you, pal. That person should be able to go hire a hooker. If they want to put drugs in their body, they should be able to do that. What they shouldn't be able to do is break into my house and steal my shit, take my life, hurt me, hurt my property, or hurt any of my loved ones or friends. That shit happens, and that's a person that ends up be, becoming a personal thing, a personal vendetta. Right. But if you want to walk up and down the street high as a kite and you wander out in front of a bus, sorry, I'm sorry, except that it does damage the bus. Uh, you know, and if I, if I hit him with my car, that's damage to my property. So there's some nuance there. But I'm just saying this isn't I mean, they're even doing this in Thailand where they're saying, well, you can only buy this stuff if you make a certain amount of money. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people in Thailand that don't make. 33,250 US dollar value a year. So they're not going to be able to do it. I think that's bullshit personally, but the authority subsequently appeared to back off of some of its proposed requirements, stating that its initial proposals intended to gauge investor sentiment. Yeah, that's because you got a bunch of people pissed off that they weren't going to be able to try, at least try to have their savings not be raided by your fucking government. How to spend Bitcoin using Apple Pay. Okay, so if Peter doesn't want to go to the movies with Bitcoin, I don't know, maybe he could actually buy anything else in the world that he wants with Apple Pay using Bitcoin. Who who knew? Well, we did. Andrew Hayward's going to tell us more about it from Decrypt.co. Living entirely off your Bitcoin stash without dabbling directly in fiat currency might sound like living the dream to crypto fans, but actually spending Bitcoin in the wild isn't always as easy as you'd like. Not all retailers online or off support payment services that include Bitcoin or other crypto functionality, but the tide is gradually shifting on that front. Case in point, in February 2021, BitPay announced that U.S. cardholders of its prepaid MasterCard, which converts your Bitcoin to fiat currency at the point of sale, can add the card to Apple Pay, thus allowing it to be used for payments on iPhone, Mac, iPad, and Apple Watch. Now you can use Bitcoin and other supported coins to make payments both online and at retailers that accept Apple Pay, which is a shit ton. Using Apple Pay to spend your Bitcoin is easy enough, although setting it up requires a bit of legwork. Here's a step-by-step look at how to do it. You'll need to download the BitPay app on your iPhone and iPad to get started. BitPay is a cryptocurrency wallet app, and any funds held within the app are in your own custody, which means if you lose access to the digital wallet within the app, you will not be able to recover your funds. BitPay provides a 12-word recovery key that you should write down and back up elsewhere in case you need to recover your wallet later. Once you have the app up and running, you should see the Get the BitPay Card banner on the main screen. Otherwise, you can tap the credit card icon at the bottom of the screen to find it. The sign-up process includes inputting personal know-your-customer information, so be aware. 
such as your social security number. Oh my God. And uploading a photo of your government issued ID. You mean my slave card? If approved, you can go ahead and order the card, which has a $10 fee. As of this writing, it takes up to 10 business days to receive the physical card once ordered, but you don't have to wait. The digital card can be used immediately. While setting up the BitPay wallet for the first time and applying the BitPay card can seem like it takes a little while, it is thankfully very easy to add the card to your Apple wallet. In fact, once you are approved for the prepaid MasterCard and your order is complete, the app will prompt you to add the digital card to your Apple wallet. Once it's in there, it's available to use in Apple Pay, whether you're paying online or in person at contactless payment terminals. All card funds fund management still takes place within the BitPay app. You can reload the card with funds by sending cryptocurrency to your BitPay address from another wallet or by purchasing it from within the BitPay app. In addition to Bitcoin, the card also lets you spend various shit coins, and I won't even name them, as well as other stable coins like USDC, BUSD, GUSD, and PAX. The BitPay card also automatically reloads itself when low, should you choose that option and select a payment source. You can use Apple Pay in millions of stores around the world, says the company, along with loads of apps and web stores, in-transit apps, on college campuses, and making donations to some nonprofits. When you go to pay with Apple Pay, the BitPay card will appear as a payment option, making it easy to spend your Bitcoin and other supported cryptocurrencies. Of course, you can use Apple Pay within Apple's own stores, apps, and services. Whether you're buying apps or games, paying for Apple Music, or buying hardware from the Apple Store, Restaurants such as McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway all accept Apple Pay, as do retailers like Target, Whole Foods, Costco, Gap, and Walgreens. Apple has plenty of suggestions for other places to spend your Bitcoin as well. Okay, so Peter Schiff, who constantly says that nobody accepts Bitcoin, he's right and he's wrong. I mean, first of all, he actually he's wrong and he's wrong, but he's wrong to differing degrees there are people that accept Bitcoin directly, okay? There's just not a whole lot of them because it's it's a learning curve. Uh, however, with stuff like this and like things like the fold card and all, there's all manner of stuff that, that, you, can, that you can use and leverage, LN Strike and Global Strike and all these things. All of these are, you're able to, to, to do these with the, the Cash App card. I, the only time that I've ever, um, the, the only time that I've ever really used the cash app card is to buy a couple of cups of coffee. And I, yeah, I was using straight, straight up fiat with it. But if I so choose, I can sell Bitcoin that I hold in my cash app and have it available as fiat currency on my credit card. So what, what does all this mean? It means that there's going to be a, a, an intermediary before the, the vendors start understanding that they don't need the intermediary. Right. It's going to look like for them, like just another MasterCard that they get paid, you know, they have to pay two to four percent on to use their services, which they will then pass that cost back on to the customer. OK, it's really the customer that pays the vendor's fees on credit cards, if you didn't know that. But but eventually and it will be very soon it will become evident to the individual vendors that they don't need they don't need this service they don't need apple pay and bitpay they can just by that time by the time they get there it'll be even easier to do things like you know to do things analogous to setting up a btc pay server i guarantee you there's some idiot somewhere with a freaking raspberry pi 
and like a, a, a set of gear that just plugs into a retailer's router and automatically accepts payments over lightning. And the vendor has absolutely no idea how that shit happens to get converted over to fiat if they want to do that. And that will be the fourth part of the equation is that the vendors will go, okay, it's so easy for me to take Bitcoin at this point that I don't even really see it anymore. And I don't need like, you know, BitPay and I don't need Apple Pay. I can just do it directly with between me and the customer. And then I'm going to take all that Bitcoin and every day I'm going to convert it over into fiat. Well, after a while, even that gateway is going to die where they're like, I don't need fiat. Why, why do I keep taking it in fiat and losing my money? I have so many other people that have been taking Bitcoin for so long that they're the ones that provide me as a retailer goods and services. And that's when it goes circular, right? That's when it comes into a circle. So there will be at least two gateways to hyper-Bitcoinization. This BitPay thing with Apple Pay is one of the first gates, okay? LN Strike, Global Strike, BitPay, Apple Pay, Foldcar, all these things. This is the first gateway. At one point or another, people people will go, well, I'm just going to use BitPay or I'm just going to use uh, my retailer at the bodega who now has a lightning you know, network terminal, except they're going to convert it all to cash. But that's OK. At least I get to use Bitcoin and, and I don't have to touch fiat. Well, after a while, those that will be the, the, the second gateway. And once that gateway falls, then hyper Bitcoinization like goes like wildfire. Right, because at that point the retailer says, I don't want to convert my Bitcoin into fiat anymore. And I don't need to because all these other assholes are taking Bitcoin. So now we can talk to each other directly without a bank, without Visa, without MasterCard. And as much as I like Jack Mallers, it will be without him. But he'll he'll end up doing something different. I guarantee it. He'll stay in. Like Fold and all those guys, they'll stay in. They'll they'll start converting and doing different goods and services. So I'm not gonna, I'm not worried about them get being excised out of the system. However, banks, Apple Pay and stuff like that, I get the feeling <clears throat> those are gonna be lanced like a boil on your skin. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities has the following news. Oil ripping. It's just ripping, dude. <clears throat> and this is probably because of bond yields and whatnot. And, and also that OPEC decided to keep, uh, <clears throat> to not expand its production. They promised that they wouldn't produce any more oil. So that was good news to the, to the markets. So that's stabilizing, but bonds do play a role in pretty much everything. So oil is swinging 2.5% to the upside today. West Texas Intermediate going to come in at $65.40. Brenton North Sea is swinging higher, 2.7% to the upside. It's coming in at, it's starting to approach $70, $68.54. Natural gas is down a half a percent. $2.73 will buy you 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gold, actually all of the uh, shiny metal rocks are down. Gold down the uh, gold down 0.418%. It is now sub $1,700. I'm sorry, Peter Schiff. Silver not doing very well either. It's down a quarter of a percent, down to $25 an ounce. Platinum down a half. Copper rebounds. It got hammered yesterday uh, really badly. 
and it is up 2.58%. It is coming in at four bucks. Palladium is down 0.29%. Indices, where are my indices? Everything's in the green. Dow futures up 0.27. S&P futures up 0.31%. NASDAQ futures up 0.9%, or 0.9, Sorry, S&P mini is up damn near a half a point. But real money, let's talk about it, $47,548 after the clobbering. And we got clobbered twice yesterday. We, you know, like Jerome Powell opens his mouth and we get this, you know, a major dip. And then it starts to recover, and then nobody said anything, and then we get this other major dip throughout the day. And I was like, ah, dude, I just need to put my phone down, bro. All right, so $47,548.52 looks to be my high price. Fair, Fair bit of arbitrage because all the way over at Coinbase Pro, we have a price of four thousand or $47,181. So we're talking about like, oh, like around 400 bucks, man, of, of arbitrage rooms, should you choose to take that route. 306,488 transactions performed over the last 24 hours gives us 12,770 transactions being performed every hour on the hour. 511,923 BTC were sent in that 24-hour period, and that's 21,330 BTC being sent on average every hour with an average transaction value of 1.67 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.021 BTC, or right around 994 bucks. Block times mildly high, 10 minutes and 17 seconds. 0.8 0.8 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 112.43 BTC being taken in fees over the last 24 hours. A major dip in hash rate, 10.5% brings us all the way back down to 143 exahashes per second. Did anybody gain on that? Oh God, let's see. Bcash gained in hash rate. Dogecoin gained. Jesus, Dogecoin gained in hash rate. We'll have more about Doge later. What's Doge doing? It is now sub five cents. Okay, maybe it'll stay there. Who knows? Clark Moody has, oh, a really light uh, transaction load here. 37,873 transactions, but it's still going to take close to 80 blocks to clear that. Market capitalization is at 889 billion dollars so we're getting yeah we're we're starting to plunge a little bit uh bitcoin however bitcoin has captured still over eight percent of gold's market cap and uh you will get 27.9 ounces of gold for every bitcoin that you have there are 18,645,342.59 btc in circulation and 1,114.36 of that is in the Lightning Network, which has a capacity value of $53.2 million. And the number of nodes that we have is 9,288 that we can see operating 38,539 payment channels. We are holding at 53.7% of the Lightning Network being run over the Tor Network, being and it's being run over 3,724 nodes and has 580, nope, 598.59 BTC in it. That's going to do it for vitals.
Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We have this one out of Bitcoin Magazine written by Gabby Vivas. With Bitcoin to bank sandbox, Colombia will become BTC haven. Colombia has authorized eight, eight, count them, eight Bitcoin exchanges for regulatory sandbox testing to start this month. The financial superintendency of Colombia recently authorized nine alliances between local regulated banks and cryptocurrency exchanges. The initial partnerships are reportedly going to include Bank Colombia with Gemini, Davida with Poway, oh, and Poway with Binance, Banco de Bogota with Bitso and Buda, Coltiferantasia with Obsidium, and CoinK with Bank, God, Banex Coin and Movi with Panda and Bitpoint. Okay, these names, guys, you're gonna have to start working on this shit. You cannot have names that nobody can fucking pronounce. This ridiculous, dude. That's marketing 101, and I'm a terrible marketer. And even I know this. Continuing, since 2020, the FSC has been focused on exploring the use of Bitcoin in the country. Late last year, it published an official note to clarify that there are no prohibitions against companies in the country using their funds to buy Bitcoin. Holy shit. This latest pilot program called LAR Arena, the sandbox, may last until 2022, according to reports. Eventually, the partners will be conducting financial operations under the scrutiny of Colombian regulators. Quote, the regulatory body reported that once the application and selection phase is completed, the structuring phase will begin in which exchanges and banks will carry out operations with crypto assets, according to uh, Explica. One aspect that stands out is that two of the most important exchanges in the Bitcoin ecosystem applied for evaluations in the event that Binance and Gemini successfully complete the evaluations together with the allied banks, then they would be formalizing their operations to the local market, all with the approval of the authorities. Dude, Columbia is going to be rocking here, man. Bitcoin is going to produce global change. And through the Sandbox program, this potential is already being realized in a subdeveloped country that has been recognized for its place in the drug market, but is not well known for the real opportunities that it brings to future investors. This pilot program could change the perception of Bitcoin around the world and could influence Colombia to consider it as a valid investment for its own citizens, as well as a future part of the Colombian stock market and its essential economic infrastructure. Colombia is paving the way, and this country may soon be considered as the first option for the retirement of Bitcoin millionaires and Bitcoin investors all over the world who will know that their Bitcoin wealth is appreciated in a beautiful country that still has much to explore. And Colombia is absolutely fucking gorgeous, guys. It's too bad that it's overrun by a bunch of, of assholes. But again, chance, chances are good that maybe if maybe just maybe, and I'm just spitballing here, maybe if you hadn't selected communist, socialist, or otherwise fascist regimes, then the people wouldn't have tried anything that they could to actually make a little bit of dough. And a lot of them cruised over to the drug market. Well, the drug market is filled with some fairly fucking unsavory people. So even if you were good when you got in and your intentions was just to feed your family and you started getting money, you're exposed to some of the worst people on the face of the planet that do not have a 
that give a shit about human life or, or any kind of morality or ethics or anything, you get exposed to shit like that long enough, you become that which, with which you associate with. And I think that that's why there's the, 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 the drug culture is as bad as it is. It took good people and it just turned them into raving lunatics. And the richer they got, the more scumbags, the more scumbaggery they engaged with. But with that said, we do have the situation of the fact that Colombia looks set in Latin America to be one of the hubs of Bitcoin in the world. And if that occurs, you're going to see major demographic shifts of ethnicity, religion, age. Everything is going to change for that country and the countries that are surrounding Colombia. And honestly, I'm, I'm not all that opposed to getting the hell out of the United States because this federal government is out of control. I'm just saying, man, it's, it's just a thing. But Exponential Security CEO says Bitcoin is an attractive part to almost any portfolio. God, it sounds like a sales pitch, doesn't it? Jeff Benson gives us more from Decrypt.co. In an interview with Yahoo Finance, Wall Street veteran George Ball, the former CEO of Prudential Bach Securities, suggested cryptocurrencies are a good addition to nearly any investment portfolio. And George, you spelled Bitcoin wrong again. The investing public right now is worried and the professional investors are worried that the Fed is behind the curve, Ball said that the amount of stimulus envisioned is perhaps greater than that which would be helpful over the next year or two to the economy, he said. While he envisions an extremely vigorous rebound for late 2021, that bit of good news creates a dilemma for investors. How do you hedge in a market where bond yields are rising, tech stocks might be due for a correction, and the U.S. Central Bank is trying to increase inflation? His answer? Cash. And Bitcoin, quote, the best hedge against an at-risk market is cash, Ball shared. Cash lets you sleep securely at night and take greater risks with the investments that you do make. With the cryptocurrencies, I think there's a fundamental hydra-headed shift that makes them attractive as a part or small part of almost any portfolio. Those reasons include a hedge against inflation, if it is indeed coming back in a big way, but also to take advantage of increasing demand by retail investors. As small investors jump from speculating on stock to speculating on cryptocurrencies, they may end up driving the price of certain crypto assets further. There's a growing acceptance among many financial advisors that cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin should be part of investors' portfolios, though not necessarily a big part. Shark Tank co-host Kevin O'Leary, for instance, recently revealed that Bitcoin would represent 3% of his portfolio, despite having called the coin garbage two years earlier. And while the cloud computing company MicroStrategy, it's not a cloud computing company, guys, has invested several billion dollars into Bitcoin, a small allocation also works for corporations. Meltem Demirs, chief strategy officer at CoinShares, told Decrypt in February that our research suggests 4% is an optimal Bitcoin allocation to start. Ball is currently CEO of Sanders Morris Harris, a private equity and wealth management firm. He resigned from Prudential Beige part of Prudential Financial in 1991 amid claims by the Securities and Exchange Commission that the firm had defrauded investors. Prudential paid $2 billion in penalties and restitution, though Ball himself was never charged. (laughs) 
the chicanery. Three weeks after launch, Canadian Bitcoin ETF now holds nearly 11,300 BTC. Oh my, BTC times. Darius Z is going to tell us about it. North America's first Bitcoin ETF launched in Canada last month, and already it holds 11,300 BTC. Canadian asset manager Purpose Invest reports that as of March 4th, its Bitcoin ETF has 722 million CAD, the Canadian dollars, in assets under management, which is equivalent to about 571 million USD. The Ontario Securities Commission approved the firm's product on February the 12th, like the middle of last month. My God, which means that the fund averaged about 28.5 million dollars in inflows per day. According to the company's website, quote, we saw tremendous demand at various points in the first five trading days. We took in more than half a billion dollars in the first few trading days. The purpose Bitcoin ETF in its Forex hedged and non-Forex hedged versions trade at nearly a 29% premium compared to the value of the underlying Bitcoin. I'll bet, I'll bet. Barry is not happy about that. The USD version of the product, on the other hand, trades at only a 2% premium. The situation stands in contrast to the world's top tradable Bitcoin fund, which is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which currently trades at just over $46 per share, while every share corresponds to $47 worth of the underlying Bitcoin. That being said, it is rare to see GBTC trade at a discount to its actual Bitcoin stake. Furthermore, Grayscale charges investors a yearly management fee of 2%, while the purpose Bitcoin ETF charges 1%. Wow, it's a hell of a discount. According to Purpose Investments, ETFs have some features that make them superior to closed-end funds such as GBTC. An ETF provides a more pure exposure to Bitcoin, and the structure better reflects what investors are looking for to track the price of Bitcoin. Unlike ETFs, closed-end closed end funds cannot quickly add or remove units to maintain constant exposure. An ETF has a robust creation and redemption process that allows exposure to expand and contract as necessary to accommodate demand. Purpose Investments explains on its website that investing in a fund like GBTC when it is trading at a premium can cause losses when fluctuations in demand decreases the premium or even turn it into a discount. An ETF can more closely track demand fluctuations due to its creation and redemption processes. So far, Canada is the only country in North America to have approved a launch of a Bitcoin ETF. Still, many experts believe that with the departure of former Securities and Exchange Commission Chairman Jay Clayton, who starkly opposed such products, investors will soon see a Bitcoin ETF launched on a U.S. exchange. That is true, especially since Clayton's position is now held by Gary Gensler, who taught a course on cryptocurrencies and blockchain at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology before joining the regulatory agency. What's more, Goldman Sachs, uh, one of the United States' top investment banks, is reportedly considering its own Bitcoin ETF after restarting its Bitcoin futures trading desk. So, yeah, God, that's that fund did well. I'm just saying. However, somebody who didn't do well, Floyd Mayweather-backed Centra ICO founder gets eight years in prison. And this is why I Bitcoin. Shara Malwa is going to tell us about it from Decrypt. 
the Department of Justice in the Southern District of New York sentenced Sohrab Sharma, one of the co-founders of the infamous crypto project Centra Tech, to eight years in prison yesterday. The project raised over $25 million in an initial coin offering in 2017 before it was flagged as a fraud. Centra chatted itself as a niche firm that specialized in crypto finance products such as debit cards. It advertised a false partnership with international card processors Visa and MasterCard to gain popularity and hired boxer Floyd Mayweather and music producer DJ Khalid to promote the project and gain legitimacy with coin buyers. But in 2018, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, found that none of those claims were true and that Sharma and his partners, Robert Frakes and Raymond Trapani, were running an elaborate scam. A court case followed over the years with Farkas getting sentenced to prison last year and forfeiting ill-gotten gains of $347,000. Mayweather and music producer DJ Khalid, meanwhile, became the first individuals to be charged by the United States authorities in 2018 for promoting an unlawful coin offering and paid $300,000 and $100,000 as fines, respectively, at the time. Yesterday saw the case come to a close with Sharma, Centra's mastermind, being sentenced. He had earlier pled guilty to conspiring to commit securities fraud, wire fraud, and mail fraud by soliciting public funds for the launch of Centra coins. Quote, Sharma led a scheme to deceive millions of investors by falsely claiming that the startup he co-founded had developed fully functioning cutting-edge cryptocurrency-related financial products, said Ilian Graff, the attorney for the United States. Graff added that Sharma's only inventions, and that's in quote, were the creation of fake executives, fake partnerships, and fake business plans to create hype around Centra and misguide gullible investors. Apart from prison time, Sharma was sentenced to three years of supervised release and uh, release in order to pay a fine of 20 grand. He was further ordered to forfeit over $36 million in illegal gains from the Centra coin sale. Meanwhile, U.S. authorities said that they sold the Ethereum seized from the Centra coin sale to the tune of $33 million earlier this year. The amount would be used to compensate victims of the fraud, the court added. So again, this is why I Bitcoin, so I don't have to worry about that kind of crap. OKCoin provides a grant to Lightning developer Antoine Ariard. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine, written by Peter Chihuahua. Today, cryptocurrency exchange OKCoin has announced that it has granted an undisclosed sum to Lightning Network developer Antoine Riard. Riard worked at Bitcoin research and development firm Chaincode Labs in 2019 and 2020 and now focuses on building Rust Lightning, a library for the Lightning Network meant to enable a fully featured yet flexible implementation, according to an announcement provided, by, uh, provided to Bitcoin Magazine. OKCoin's grant is meant to sponsor his work for one year. His focuses on lightning security, namely patching lightning network security flaws and onboarding new contributors to the lightning network per the announcement. He thinks that creating a larger community and support network for lightning network developers, especially lightning network mobile app developers, is essential for the next 12 months. Specifically, Riard will be working on refactoring the internal structures of Square's lightning development kit and Rust Lightning to enable better watchtower support. Oh, thank God. Onboarding new LDK contributors and facilitating team meetings, publishing a research post on payment pools, and much more. 
The support is part of an ongoing open source development grant program from OKCoin. Previously, it has supported Bitcoin Core maintainer Marco Falke, Bitcoin Core developer Amiti Utawar, and Bitcoin payment processor project BTC Pay Server. The most recent grant is the latest signal of support for the Lightning Network from OKCoin, which announced it would be integrating the Layer 2 solution in January. While the Lightning Network is a technology that has made significant advances in the last year that make it worthwhile to be integrated onto exchanges like OKCoin that have a lot of experience handling money transfer, it is still also new, according to the OKCoin announcement shared with Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, as we enter this next phase of Lightning Network development, as more retail and commerce utilize the Lightning Network, we anticipate that the network will be placed under much more stress, so we want to invest in its development now, end quote. By supporting Riyard, the exchange is specifically looking to contribute to security for Lightning. The Lightning Network is geared towards enabling easier and more efficient financial transfers per the announcement. It has a heightened need for security, especially as a solution that is supposed to be light enough to be used and deployed a lot. And because it's a new network and there are still vulnerabilities in it. Okay, so... This is good that OKCoin is doing this. I'm, I'm glad to see that Lightning developers are still not losing out on grant uh, possibilities. Honestly, I'd, I'd like to see a lot more Lightning Network uh, grant uh, stuff being done. But hey, anything that, you know, anything that these guys want to give is much appreciated. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. terrible joke corner brought to you by dad says jokes what do you call a polar bear in the jungle lost so bad (laughs) it's just so bad all right man uh it's friday uh weekend coming up y'all y'all have a wonderful one and i'll see you on the other side this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.